Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 193. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Last podcast of the year, folks. 2010 was a pretty busy one for us here at the Drabblecast. Got some new listeners, some new staff, the mighty, mighty Matthew Bay, the Parsec Award for Best Fiction Magazine or Anthology. That was pretty cool. I'm pretty proud of where this show has gone since the first fluid-filled Shitsu coughs of episode one back in February 2007, and I think you folks have a lot to look forward to in the months ahead. New musical weirdness, a big 200th episode extravaganza, the 2010 Drabblecast People's Choice Awards, and, as always, more delightfully bizarre short fiction. 2011's gonna be even more tight than a stem cell jacket, even more fly than Dead Duck Day, even more mun than the entire state of Utah. And that, your llama, is a statement, not a fact. You, you! So crack open the champagne. It's time for the last 100-word story of 2010. This week's Drabble is called Thief, and it comes to us from Craig Sokol. Craig is an American northerner conducting weird sociological experiments upon the hapless people of Houston, Texas. He resides with his fiancée and two cats named after Greek gods. More of his stuff can be found at hundredwordsatatime.wordpress.com and on the Drabblecast forums as Monsata. I compulsively steal things. I blame Carmen Sandiego. Super hot thief? She was so my heroine. Problem was, it's really hard to steal things like the Mason-Dixon line. So I started small. Gum, cigarettes, lighters, little things at first. Over the years, I got better. Moved up to wallets at 15, cars at 18. I made that big leap, though. The one from tangible to intangible. I have 12 minds, more health and luck than I'll ever need. But sometimes taking tangible things is more fun. So when I say I'm stealing your heart, well, you're gonna feel a small pinch. Well, this week's feature story is also about things stolen and taken back, things lost and things found. We bring you Scales by Samantha Henderson. You've heard Sam's work frequently on the Drabblecast. She's another one of our favorites, so we thought it'd be cool to close out the year with one of her pieces. Samantha's work's been published in places like Strange Horizons, Abyss and Apex, and Realms of Fantasy. And her novel, Heaven's Bones, which came out last year from Wizards of the Coast, is quite awesome, if I do say so myself. Take a look at SamanthaHenderson.com to keep up with her. Scales first appeared in Lone Star Stories back in 2005. The story is read to you by the talented Tish Parmalee. Tish is a professional narrator and owner of Aural Spice Professional Narration. She's read several stories for Shadowcast Audio, one of which was nominated for a 2010 Parsec Award. Although she enjoys voicing real estate listings, voicemail, and training tutorials, her first love is audio fiction. You can find out more information about Tish and Aural Spice by visiting auralspice.com. So, without further ado, we bring you Scales by Samantha Henderson. Mm-hmm. 
Sometimes it happens. You gamble and you lose, even if you're one of Luck's children. I was always lucky. I always heard the Grumbies snarking in the shallow water before they could wrap their clammy fingers around an unsuspecting ankle. I always knew where the snake folk were likely to dance on moonlit nights and gave those places a wide berth. I always knew where the best clusters of wineberries were hanging. It was good to be lucky in the autumn after the snake folk roused themselves from their summer languor and before winter cast them into their seasonal sleep. There was a bite in the air that threw them into their dances, and in the daylight I would find flat patches on the small grassy knolls that serve as islands in the swamp and broken fragments of scale opal bright in the shafts of sunlight. Sometimes, if I sat silent in my punt, I'd see a tail flick between the cypress roots and crouch low, goose pimples shivering up my back. Many days in autumn, I would come home to the smell of hot iron, the polished black skillet hung over the flame. It permeated the house, the smell of blood caught in abeyance, and the snake folk couldn't abide it. Sallyford didn't like it either, and said it caught in the back of her throat like smoke that couldn't be coughed loose. Mama frowned when she looked at Sallyford. Rising six years, she lost the last of her baby fat in her timorous ways and was starting to venture outside on her lonesome. And my darling Sallyford, precious sister, was clumsier than a child of the swamplands ought to be. I loved her always, but tell the truth and shame the devil. She couldn't track noiseless through the chokeweed. She couldn't catch dragonflies at the edge of the water. When I took her in the punt, she was distracted by the dapple of new leaves. I drew her attention to the swirl of catfish beneath the prow, and she frowned, and her little brow creased as she tried, she tried, but a green flicker went by, and she was entranced again. She had none of my focus, or silence, or speed. She had none of my luck. We'd make sure she was within eyeshot and call, or safe with other swamp dwellers. The children tolerated her mayfly ways, binding her safe in their circle games. They'd leave her behind when they'd venture into the streamlet mazes, and she'd wait at our doorway, plaiting grasses into tiny baskets. Some whispered it was improper for a girl my age to venture in a punt so far from where our houses clustered. I said Mama had no man or son to do it. I was better at fishing than weaving or spawning crayfish or herb lore or other women's work. One day, when a surge of dying summer heat roared through the waterways, spoiling my fishing, I punted home to find Mama running down the grassy swell towards my docking place. Hope died in her face when she saw my punt empty, and I knew then what had happened. In the doorway where Sally for sat was a round of flattened grass and a half-finished basket small as a thimble, caught between the posts a shimmer of scale. Squinting down the knoll, I thought I saw a thick serpentine path of crushed green where he has passed. Oh, yes. I knew who stole my darling. As I spy them through the trees, keeping my distance and a finger on my knife handle, I often feel him spying on me. 
Copperhead, I dub him in my silent rumination, because the sun that strikes through the cypress and keeps them at bay wakes red swirls in his flowing hair, streaked with honey gold. He's big, his tail a muscular smear of blue and green, and I can hear him in the undergrowth on the shore as I shoot over swift flowing water, parallel in the boat, almost companionable. Sometimes when I idle in the middle of the stream, my morning lines cast out and fastened, I feel his bright gaze on me and pretend ignorance, cleaning my nails with my knife, my very skin aware. I make sure never to be within reach. I'm lucky, but it's foolish to depend on luck all of the time. I pull the scale from the post. Blue-green, and there, a copper strand. I felt the skin tighten across my face and push past Mama into the house, seeking my extra knife. It was too long for everyday work, but I wanted two blades that day. Mama knew where I was going and knew better than to stop me. I'll call out the riversides and crack John, she called, and I nod, never looking back. The trail led down to the water, past where I docked the punt, earth dented under the weight of his strong tail. I should have waited for the others, but time was of the essence. Nobody knew what happened to those the snake folk took. We never even found their bones. I felt the muddy bottom pull at my pole as I traveled swift up the passage where I heard him wind, past the pool where I invited, taunted his gaze. I should have known he'd be waiting for me. In a cluster of lilies, he coiled, waiting, not trying to hide. I took a steady, wide stance in the boat and drew my short knife, touching the long blade at my thigh. He blinked at me lazily, his red-gold head gleaming. She's on the hunt. He said, his voice a mellow, gentle taunt. Bigger game than catfish this time. My sister, I snarled. Give over. But she's playing in a daisy patch. He said, and despite myself, I shivered as his voice dipped from tenor to bass and back again. She promised me a necklace. She's clever with her hands, that one. If a little clumsy. I stared at him in silence while I listened hard for any stir in the undergrowth. She wasn't a graceful child. Where she was, she made noise. Only a rub of leaf and flicker of dragonfly. And so, I knew she must be dead. I'll catch you one day, Copperhead, I told him. The hot tears already starting. I blinked so they wouldn't blur my vision. And when I do, I'll skin you and tan your hide as a present for my mother. His eyes widened, mocking. I'll give her back if you feel that strongly. But you must play my game. That didn't mean she lived, but I allowed myself hope. I was lucky after all. What game? He smiled with a little fang thrown in and raised his hands as if in supplication. 
In each palm was one of Salifa's acorn-sized baskets, the one she wove tight enough to hold liquid. Something dark gleamed in each one. Choose. He said, starting to uncall from the waist down. Choose and drink. I let the punt drift closer. What is it? One of them will do you no harm at all. I didn't ask what the other would do. A woodpecker started rat-tatting a half mile off. I counted fifty blows of its beak in sets of five before I answered. Why? He studied my face while his tail undulated deep beneath him. Say that I'm weary of tracking you by the waterways. And I wish to play a little game. Will that suffice? No, I said, drifting closer. When I was close enough, I reached out with my left hand to take Salifa's cup from his right. I didn't let go of the knife. He stared into my eyes but made no move. When my fingers touched his hand, I felt a scatter of scales that reached past his wrist and the soft skin of his palm. Waiting until the boat drifted away, I drank the liquid, keeping it imprisoned in my mouth. It was warm and rich, like wineberry juice. Still, he watched me, watching my throat. I swallowed. Sweet as it was, it left my tongue bitter. So, I thought, I'm lucky again. With a whip of his tail that scattered droplets across my face, he wound into the heart of the grove behind him. I stifled the impulse to leap after him and waited. Something shoved roughly through the chokeweed. She saw me and ran, half-tripping, knee-deep in the water before I could get to her. Salifer, safe. It was not until the middle of the night before I realized I'd lost Copperhead's game. After I voided from both ends, I lay in a fever, shaking with the ache of it while Mama put cool cloths on my head. I couldn't keep her remedies down, so she soaked rags with hot poultices and lay them on me to draw out the poisons. For a while, I slept, and then the itching began, hot and painful, like red ants crawling up to my waist and the insides of my arms. I would have scratched my skin off in great bloody welts if Mama hadn't tied down my hands. After a day, the itching stopped and Mama took off the poultices. She kept her face rigid as she wiped me clean. Later, I heard her praying in the kitchen. Salifa came to sit beside me and wiped my forehead. When she fell asleep against my shoulder, I heard him through the window, calling me. Go away, I say. What lies ahead for you? He whispered. Soon you'll be a woman fool, and they'll marry you off to one of those with the rich river houses, and you'll sit inside with your sewing all day. I tried to move my chapped lips. Or a duckman, and he'll keep you from the waterways and give you fifteen children and a clout across the ear when it looks like you're dreaming of the punt. Never, I croaked. Or if you put them off, one of the grumbies will get you one of these days, quick as you are. 
wore one of my kin. I closed my eyes and opened them. It made no difference. He didn't say anything else, but I heard his breathing all night. Someone sponged my forehead clumsily and I opened my eyes. Blinding light, I could see again. Oh, May, said Salifer somewhere in the light. May, your eyes are strange and splitted. Unsteadily, I called my tail and drew myself upright. When the dizziness stopped, I looked down at myself. From the waist down, row upon row of shiny scales, black as beetles. Here and there, a fleck of green. It took me a little practice to get used to the push-pull necessary for movement. Salifer stood against the wall and watched. She followed me to the kitchen. Mama was standing at the sink, stripping leaves. She didn't turn to look at me. Over the fire hung the iron skillet. The smell made me want to retch. Go, she said. Go before I have to call Craig John and come and kill you. Salifer started to cry. I kissed her once and slithered out of the house, past the wards which made my skin prickle, down the slope away from the smell of hot iron. He was waiting by the water's edge. Salifer's daisy chain around his neck, the petals starting to fade. I went past him without a word, into the water, away. I still won't let him come near me. Last time he tried, I snapped at him with the end of my tail and welted him across the hip. But he's still out there, past the ring of cypresses that border my island called in his nest of adalilies. I enjoy the feeling of grass and mud against my scales. I can hear the catfish where they hide. Last week, I left a pile of them at Mama's back door. I think it was last week. I'm losing my sense of time, and only the moon and its waxing means anything anymore. Soon the moon will be full. I think I'll go to the secret islands then, deep in the back rivers and dance. Perhaps next time he comes near, I won't lash at him. I'll let him stay across the clearing, and the next night a little closer. My scales are beautiful in the moonlight. I can smell the crawfish sleeping in the mud. Perhaps I'm still lucky after all. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. What lies ahead for you in 2011? Gonna steal some health or someone's heart? Gonna turn into a snake and dance under the moonlight? Or marry a dockman and have 15 kids? Really? 15 kids? I said in 2011, that's only one year. There's no way. Come on, seriously? That's vaginormous. 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 Ah well, beats sitting around sewing all day, I guess. Uh, no, actually it doesn't. Anyways, it doesn't really matter what you think lies ahead for you, because sometimes it happens. You gamble and you lose. And every day we live and every choice we make is a gamble. 
Fortunately, it's more like tossing dice than it is flipping a coin. More like blackjack than roulette played straight up, 35 to 1. Not every choice is win or lose. There are way more sides to the dice than that. Sometimes you have to make choices for yourself, and sometimes you need to do things for other people. Sometimes what seems like a bad roll, getting snake eyes, for example, turns out to be all right in the end, once the itching lets up a little bit. Keep your head low, watch out for grumbies, and with a little luck, you should be all right. Unless you marry a Dockman, of course. So let's talk about you and the Drabblecast for a minute here. The thing that I really, really enjoy the most about this show is how it's brought together of a ginormously fun community of interesting and creative people, all under the banner of strangeness. Weird is wonderful, and don't let anyone tell you differently. If anybody does, ask them how they feel about some of the word's antonyms. Boring, average, typical, dull, standard. Do those things sound appealing to them? Does anybody really want their lives to be just another synonym in that list? No, of course not. Weird is la joie de vivre. It's striking up a deal with your toaster, or a wild shining up a porky rhino. It's God talking to you in your TV's staticky channel, or floaters talking to you in your eyeball. Am I preaching to the choir here? Perhaps, but maybe, maybe you're not part of the choir. Maybe you're just singing along from home. You should join and participate in our discussion forums off of Drabblecast.org, and here are a few reasons why. The Drabble News section is kick-ass, out-of-control awesome. People are always posting the weird science and hilarious news bits that they hear through the grapevine or find on the web. There are pages and pages of them, like the triceratops-shaped helicopter for sale, or how to use eagles to hunt wolves, prosthetic tentacle arms, sea slugs that are actually half-plant, a monkey breaking into a man's home to bite his ear, and a woman fighting a bear out of her house with a zucchini. Love it. Elsewhere, there's a great reviews blog with fan reviews of drabbly books, movies, and video games. I put off seeing Tron until I hit this thread and read listener Dreamrock's review. Indispensable resource. Probably the most booming section is the fiction public domain, with a swarm of great short stories, 100-word drabbles, and 100-character twabbles being written, read, and commented on by others in the community. It's a great place to tinker with ideas and get some great feedback. Oh yeah, and there's also the Drabblecast feature story discussion. Of course, presumably the point of it all. Speaking of which, the point of all this is to say, don't just sing along from home. If you have Twitter, follow us on Twitter, at the Drabblecast. If you have Facebook, search for Drabblecast and jump in our group there. I think we have two groups, even, for whatever reason. If you're an artsy type, shoot us an email about doing a show's episode art. If you're a thespian type, shoot us an email about reading a story for us. Take your Drabblecastness to the next level and get involved. Reach out a tentacle and have some jelly squares. There's enough for everyone. And at the very least, make a resolution this year to be more weird. So hey, you know that person you know that just got an iPhone for Christmas? Or Matzapod for Hanukkah? Or Zoom Player for being naughty this year instead of nice? Send them over to Drabblecast.org, get them subscribed to either feed, the main one in enhanced format with episode art and chapter breaks, or the plain old mp3 feed. They might not even know what a podcast is and just got that iPod because there's an app where you can make it look like a glass of milk, and ooh, look, you can, the milk goes down when you, when you act like you're drinking it. <laughs> wow. Still, tell them it's free and awesome and they can't go wrong. 
Anyways, that's my end of the year rant out of the way. You can donate to help support the show if you'd like, and if you have the means, we certainly need it and very much appreciate it. But you might be able to make an even bigger impact by bringing others into the fold of strangeness. All of our content, including songs, bartles, and otherwise, are produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means you can share it freely on the internet, just don't change it or sell it. You can rummage through our fan archive, linked off the Drabblecast.org site, for all those goodies. So, onto our weekly Twabble story writing contest. Twabbles are Twitter-sized stories exactly 100 characters long. Post yours in the Twabble section of our discussion forums to enter our weekly contest. You may have what it takes. This week's winner was called Free Puppies, written by first-time winner Beta Dog, and here it is. Hey, want a puppy? Sorry, kid. I'm a cat person. You sure? Yeah. My claws retracted when the kid put it back in the box. <laughs> you see what he did there? Hey, never hurts to ask. You must be certain that they all see what you did there. Before we go, special thanks to this week's truly remarkable episode artist, Adam Doyle. His art this week was so kick-ass that Sam Henderson actually emailed us, asking if she could buy a print from him. Knock this one out of the park. Deep within seemingly antiquated and outdated caverns of mythology, Adam explores the warm bedrock of our timeless narratives. Brushes wet with pigments that transform blank surfaces into living, breathing, constricting, flying, conspiring beasts, he paints under the light of free-floating, bioluminescent, troglobite spider squids. Here in the subterranean caverns beneath New York City, silent to the din save for the rumbling bellyache of the subway, Adam makes marks that capture not only the outer form of man and animal, but the swirling inner flow of energy, the as-yet-unseen coils of chi that spark the charge of life. Find a link to the prints of his artwork in our show notes. I'm in it here to say special thanks also to some other special people working behind the scenes, making the show what it is. These are people who do important work and don't usually get the recognition that they deserve. Our gnarly team of slush spankers, Phenopath, Ann Sauer, David Carvin, Jonathan McNeil, Steve Lidster, and Jake Webb, charged with the daunting task of helping pan for gold in our submission box. Couldn't do this without you guys. Also, big thanks to Drabblecast art director Bo Kyer for all you do, coordinating episode artists and generally making things look good. Thanks to our forum mods, Kevin Anderson, Mr. Tweedy, Strawman, and Stalin Says for keeping things organized and keeping everybody playing nice. And thanks to all of you who have donated financially this past year. We owe you everything. So that's our show, folks. The last cast of 2010. We'll see you next year, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a super hot thief named after a football team that just got knocked out of the playoffs by the Cincinnati Bengals, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that spawning crayfish is women's work.